strapped in the trenches Making moves going all out Every day handle business You know that the hustle don't stop Got my team, let's get it Reviewing books and talk stocks Steady keep it moving So you gon' wanna tune in Get Lowdown, it's an app Get local food on demand Delivery right to your home Everything in the palm of your hand Took hard work and dedication Come through, join the conversation This is history up in the making We just wanna be an inspiration Hey, let's go Welcome to another edition of Bootstrapped in the Trenches. On this episode, we dive into creativity comes to fruition when your back is against the wall, which is very fitting for the business we're in, hence why it's called Bootstrapped in the Trenches. The book that we'll be reviewing later is Damon John, one of the guys on Shark Tank's Power of Broke. So that's why we figured the fitting was very, I'm sorry, the title was very fitting. Uh, revolving around the creativity and being backed against the wall. Uh, what's going on, guys? How were the food commas last night? Uh, pretty good. We had had a standard pizza, um, some ice cream. <laughs> it's been going all out. Wow. So, Corey, you're you're a Sunday night ice cream guy now. We could say that's a thing. It's just the it's just my cheat day, and then uh, today. I just I actually just got my food because we were running a little bit late, but I got uh, some grilled wings and um, a veggie burger. Love that combination. I'm a big fan. I do that a lot. Where are the wings from? It's called uh, Chirpin' Chirpin' Chicken. Like the name. Yeah, it's a good name. Chirpin' Chicken. Would you go with that? <laughs> no, no right? I, I actually <clears> – <throat> I still got to order my meal. What's going uh, on here, Dan? I'm browsing through. Dude, today has been just a terrible day. My whole day was thrown off this morning when these damn ninjas did not oh, do the man. specials right. Uh-huh. I know. And I kind of knew it was going to happen last night, but I was like, you know what? I don't want to spend four hours on a Sunday night fixing specials, yeah. so I'm going to just see what's going on in the morning. And th- uh, didn't go to the gym, didn't really eat all day, uh, had a doctor's appointment at like 2 o'clock. Like, today's just been brutal. Just a shitty, so, a shitty Monday. Shitty Monday. I had to push this podcast. Like, I asked you guys to push it back 30 minutes just so I could go sit in the sauna, finish the book, and, like, kind of, like, get my notes ready for this podcast. Because well, it was just, yeah. We appreciate the preparation. In saying that, last night... We went to dinner at mom and dad's, and uh, I wasn't a fan. Me and you both. What'd yeah. you cook? I like the whipped cream and ice cream, but that was... I liked the dessert. You know, they just got back from Colombia, and she tried making, you know, these tacos, sort of. She's and not Colombian. She's not Colombian. It was... was it like, she was tried... Like tapas? Like uh, little dishes? It was really... You know what it was? It was a bad version of tacos. <laughs> When you really think I was, about it, I mean, I was confused as to what it was because you couldn't like they weren't tacos. You couldn't roll them up. It was funny and being dad's reaction when he's like, "So what do you do with this?" She's like, "Oh, you put the beans in it." And you and he's like, "Do you eat it like with a fork or what's going on here?" It was really funny. <laughs> it was like Corey, you know, when you go to an Indian restaurant and that little thin bread that they bring you out. Yeah, of course. It wasn't exactly like that, but it was in the sense that it was just flat, crunchy bread. So you either have soft shell tacos or you have hard shell tacos, but either way, you have like a taco. This was right. more just like a pancake. It was a tostada. It was really like a tostada when you think about it, but it wasn't the right stuff with the tostada. 
That was the issue. She had the wrong stuff for a testata. Okay. Yeah. So that that was that. I I just have not been eating that much lately, and I gotta I gotta get on like Hello Fresh or something, or move into one of our markets where we have food. And you could just use Lodell. Yeah. Yeah. I literally eat like one meal a day. I feel like I'm wasted away over here. uh, It's time for some French toast and cutlets. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, like when I'm with who? With Jeff Jeff Ball. Oh, Jeff Ball. Yeah. Yeah. That would, yeah. You know, Chef Jeff. <laughs> Chef Jeff. Shout out to Chef Jeff. Yeah. The, the Mr. Part, editor. Part of the game rocking. Yeah. Jeff is going to be listening to this in about two hours and editing it. So he's going to hear all this stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I, uh, yeah, I was with Dan last night for food. And earlier, I actually pulled a Mike Roland, like always. I ordered P.F. Chang's. A large wonton soup and a uh, chicken and broccoli. And I also got, I don't know if you guys have gotten on this bandwagon yet, the Starbucks veggie egg white bites. Corey, I know you're all about those. Oh, yeah. The sous vide bites. Oh, sous vide bites. I've been getting two orders of those every single day. Literally. Phenomenal, high in protein. I like how they make them a little crispy. They're so awesome. They're like 80 calories. Yeah, phenomenal. Like I, I, that's something I could literally eat every day the rest of my life and be pumped about it. Yeah, I'm doing five guys. Wow, Dan's doing five guys. Yeah, Danny five just guys. beef up. I'm doing a milkshake. I knew, I knew, I was gonna tell you, Dan. You got to do a chocolate milkshake. Dude, I am. I'm looking right now. You know what I love about Five Guys? They have the calorie count next to them. Yep. So I can add up and see that I'm about to go for a 2100 calorie meal, and that's what I need. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, I, like I don't that. even know if that's yeah. Is that like considered a lot? That's like uh, considered the max for a day, but um, <laughs> you know that's without you burning your class. You know, depends how much calories you burn in a day. If you're Michael Phelps, well, all I've eaten. Yeah, I really haven't eaten anything today. So yeah, yeah you got to go to town. To... Have the Michael Phelps yeah. meal. That's what I'm doing. Might have some waffles wow. after. And on that note, that sounds amazing. Yeah, Dan, what's going on? Food news of the week here. Uh, food news of the week. So actually, the first one is not related to the food delivery apps. Last week, when you called me out for. <laughs> The orange dust stuff. I realize. Yeah, it doesn't have to be food delivery. I realize I need to expand my horizons a little bit, but in saying that, I need to sort through like what's relevant and what's just bullshit because there's obviously tons of stuff out there. But I thought this was pretty cool. So in Finland, they just made this protein powder out of air, water, and electricity, and they're saying it's going to change the world. It's called Solien, like S O L E I N. And it has a really tiny carbon footprint. And essentially, it is a powder made out of nothing. And it's 60%. So a relative of Elon Musk started this? I don't even know. But you could look up, you could look it up. And it's an actual powder. And they're saying it's 60% protein. And it's extremely environmental friendly. And I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I read, I read wow. three articles about it, and I literally – I still don't understand it. <laughs> like, I'm still confused. <laughs> that shows how cool it is so appara- when you have no clue. So, yeah, apparently it's similar to the process they use for brewing beer. 
And after that, it kind of lost me. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's one of those like 2020 type of trends that had to come up right away. When you say a bunch of fancy words and you're like, oh, okay. Because don't you think that like since it's 2020 now, people naturally are thinking more futuristically with their vocabulary. So it's like, let's start like whipping some of these concoctions up and getting people completely (laughs) lost. Direction it just sounds it. so ridiculous that people are going to be eating air in this decade. <laughs> hey man, it's kind of like those that moon ice cream at Liberty Science Center. Yeah. That's what I used to think I was eating. I was like, "What is this?" Space air? food, right? Yeah, so, I was like, I, I knew I didn't want to be an astronaut when I touched yeah, that astronaut. stuff. <laughs> so you guys won't like this next one then. I actually wasn't even going to include this. I didn't even write it down. I just remember reading about it and I was cracking up. So the headline of the article was talking about how food tribes are kind of going to going to take over in 2020 so i'm clicking it thinking like food tribes like what are these like amazon tribes that are gonna take like that's what i was thinking when i clicked the headline and i clicked the headline and this was the most hipster shit i've ever read in my life it was talking about how the different ways that people categorize themselves now whether you're gluten-free vegan he was like it's going to become such a movement where it's going to be how people identify themselves and the article was basically saying nothing except like this world is filled with a bunch of hipsters but it essentially was saying that these people are now going to be looked at as food tribes well i think when that brings up an interesting point though because i read something on uber eats about that where when you think about it and dan i was telling you about that with nestle the food personalization, when you think about labeling people based on just like their personalities, like last week, but based on dietary needs and their types of body types, I think that's going to be a trend we're going to see in our space with like practitioners teaming up with delivery services to make sure their, you know, people are getting their right help with not just the right medicine, but also the right nutrients with what they're eating yeah you even see like gyms these days uh teaming up with food deliveries or food meal services so they not only offer like gym regimens but they also uh offer you know food plans so you know you're eating right and going to the gym yeah it's a great it's a win-win it's like the opposite of the planet uh fitness model (laughs) yeah here's here's a bunch of pizza (laughs) Hey, Jimmy, go run on that treadmill, and then here's a donut from Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) Here's a good one for you. A report came out, and they've been getting hit on hard for it, that DoorDash drivers make $1.45 per hour on average. What what is this China? I don't even know. Like, there's a lot of articles about it. it doesn't really. They must. That be, doesn't make sense. It doesn't really make sense. They must be pulling in data to really try and make them look bad. But I'll take it. Yeah, like don't get me wrong. I hate DoorDash, but there's no chance that that's true. Or they wouldn't have anyone on the road. It wouldn't make much which, sense. Uh, which gets me to my next point. Maybe these aren't even people that's showing up at our door. It's starting to look kind of like men in black vibes today. (laughs) Some of these people that are showing up at your doorstep with DoorDash lately, you have to wonder like, were they like, you know what? We're going to make so much money per order. We're done with security checks. (laughs) We're done with even knowing if this person exists. Dude, I think you're actually 
I think you're onto something right now. Now I'm starting to think you know? back to like my past 15 delivery drivers, and they are all characters right out of a Men in Black movie. <laughs> I had a family of eight drop off food the other day. Literally, like I think it was a record of ever. Ha- I'm not even kidding. It was like an entire family, and I think cousins were in town. They just loaded up the car, <laughs> dropped dropped me off Burger Fi. We're talking about one burger, eight people. Don't, like I, I, I think that's a record. Don't step on a bug in front of them. Seriously, that's when I started thinking about how genius that storyline was for Men in Black. <laughs> I, I think it was, when you really think that through, it's like, wow, interesting. I mean, you don't have to think that through to think that movie was genius. It was one of the best movies well, ever. Well, yeah, but looking back, I appreciate it more and more as I get older. I feel that. Yeah. Especially as we're in that 2020 vibe now that we were talking about. So this was something I got called out on last week, and I did not bring up that the Just Eat and the Takeaway deal was cleared. So I will announce that now. Thank you, Jeff Dorman. Thank you, Jeff Dorman. <laughs> so that, yeah, that happened. I'm sorry I missed that last week. Uh, something that officially cleared this week was that Zomato bought Uber Eats India for $350 million dollars. And they raised $150 million from Alibaba to kind of help solidify things. Wonder if we're onto something with these video restaurant reviews we're starting to do. Yeah, what, what does that have to do with that comment? I mean, Zomato, isn't it a review site? No, they're a food delivery app. Well, they're, they're, but they're here in the U.S., they I, are a uh, – it's like a food – Review. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like a menu guy uh, yeah, food delivery site. I mean, menu guys, uh, yeah. review site. I didn't even, they don't deliver in the U.S., do they? No. I never realized that that was the same yeah. company. Yeah, that's what I was telling you the other day. That's that's where I think that's what's interesting about what we're starting to do. A company like that's going to be intrigued. Interesting. Yeah. that uh, We got a lot of stuff going on with that. It's, uh, you know, just uh, from the last time we had our podcast through today, we have all these food reviews up now. We have like 50 video ads in circulation. It's kind of cool. Yeah. You want to break down what's been going on with that a little bit? Yeah. Without, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know for the last few months we've been talking about our need to connect with users more and put out more content. And I, I, I feel like we've been walking the walk. Mike's been doing a lot of these food reviews and, you know, Jeff's been helping out with getting them edited and between the food reviews and videos of our restaurants and action and just videos of awesome food shots and just all kinds of things. We're starting to, I think, grasp the whole notion of video marketing and digital marketing. And we're starting to get a lot of good feedback on our videos. And some of the good feedback is people hating. Like that's what I want to see more than anything. I miss the days when people would hate for no reason. And that's where we're starting to get. We're getting a mixture of comments where people are loving it, but then you got the haters out there. And if you <laughs> that's get great. Yeah, you need the haters like hating on you, and that's how you know you're doing something right. It was actually one of the things I know we're not talking about the Damon John book yet, but that whole he always relates to different people and each chapter is almost a different person and you know, a sneak peek of what we're going to talk about later. But that girl that he talks about that started off as that Instagram influencer, she was kind of a prime example of what I'm talking about with all that. You know what I mean? Acacia Brimley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just to touch on your last story real quick. So Zomato uh, acquired urban spoon in the U S and that's how Zomato became prevalent. 
here. It's just a little gotcha. Bit. And Urban Spoon is obviously like a review listing site. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, but anyway, back to the video stuff, you know, uh, but yeah, what she was saying was she got to a point where, and obviously we, our company's been at a mature point for a while. So we've dealt with criticism and we've dealt with fans, but it was just interesting when she got to that point where all of a sudden you get big enough where you start getting hated on to and how she just kind of kept powering through. And I was like, oh, that's cool because that's ultimately, you know, that breaks so many people down, but that's when you really know you're doing something right yeah so we got a hate on the logo earlier some guy clearly having a bad day just going off what did he say i didn't see that one he said like oh i I get the whole professional look trying to look like lodell but this doesn't have a local feel it turns me off it's like that turns you off i i beg to differ there i love i look at that comment i'm like that's exactly what we want yeah i mean it's tough to please everybody yeah exactly you can't impossible it, i've never heard it of was that. funny seeing like uh on the b-town video we posted like just washing broccoli and <laughs> it was funny just like, so many comments like oh is this is this a recipe for for uh for weed and for making weed butter <laughs> and, but it, it's I, good people just any, engage, any right. engagement is good that's how people see our posts so i mean it's awesome and I've gotten a ton of good feedback about the logo. Like I have yet to have one person be like, "Oh man, I don't really know about that." And well, that was the only one I've the seen. Logo is awesome. Heard. Like it, it, it still reminds me of a local company, but with just it, it's like a mixture of both. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the logo is definitely cool. And, you know, we're starting to get all these other things going on. Like we got these animated versions now of our logo that we're plugging into the videos, which I've been getting good feedback out of people just being like, dude, like this is awesome. What's going on with this? People are hating. The rewards we haven't even rolled out yet. The rewards we haven't rolled out because we're waiting to implement them into the app. But we made a sick video talking about yeah. the rewards that we haven't obviously released yet, but we will release it. And, you know, there's a lot of videos that we're still working on. Like we're trying to make like basically our own version of a little South Park episode where we're like in a food fight with another group of people that is going to be a quote unquote competitor, even though you might not connect the dots, but hopefully you do. There's a lot of things that are like being worked on and you know, it's, it's, I'm having fun with this stuff. That's what's kind of cool about it. I'm not having fun when I wake up and spend four hours fixing fucking coupons. Like I was really pissed off today. Yeah. I, I kind of lost my shit. Yeah. 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 Like, Those guys are going to have to step that up and get, and get it back quickly. And you know what really bugged me about the whole thing? Not to like keep going on this rant. This is the last thing I'll say about it. But Sunday I hopped on a hangout to go over how to do it. And I like shared my screen and went over the coupons. And then I was like, do you guys get it? Or do you want me to go through more? And they're like, no, we got it. And then they have the audacity to tell me that I didn't show them how to do it. And it was like, yo, we, we were on a hangout yesterday. Are you kidding yeah. Me? I think there's a cultural thing with like wanting the whole them wanting to like have things be okay and not wanting to upset yeah, everybody. They're, like too, they're but, too nice. Yeah. They, they like that's true but it's so annoying because yeah, they yeah. also confirmed with me that the b-town deals were built and then like i looked and like half of them weren't even up <laughs> like, dude, it was, just it was, just tell it was, us that i, I would have done it i don't understand that's what pisses me off 
the way that some of the coupons were built though was actually comical because well yeah. all right and I, I, i'm not even gonna get into it no one's gonna even have any idea what i'm talking about it was just funny because they were building a coupon on the site as an item so they would just write 20 percent off your chicken thinking that would do something like when you click <laughs> it like no like, it was just it was insane i was like what is going on here yeah, but uh yeah that's that's all the food news i have of the week and yeah, that's all I got to say about the videos. People are hating on the Fat Shack video, but like in a funny way. People are hating on their food, but let's be real. You know, you either hate it or love it. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. we're getting people paying attention. That's really, we're getting people talking. Yeah, which yeah. Is exactly they, they weren't even hating on the video. They're hating on like, yeah, like you said, they're hating on Fat Shack. Like we got a DM just saying, oh, cheap food, but disgusting for like a $10 sandwich. It's like, man, <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's not disgusting. It's just market. like you're eating mozzarella sticks, chicken fingers, and all the fattening foods on one sandwich. It is what it is. It's definitely good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mark Cuban bought into the notion on Shark Tank, so yeah. clearly doing something, something right. going on. Yeah. And the owners of Fat Shack are cool as shit. Absolutely. Yeah, great guys. Yeah. I'm going to get a drink of water. I'll be back in a sec. So, Corey, what do we got cooking with Food for Thought? All right. So, Food for Thought this week, I wanted to talk about dollar slice joints. And, Mike, I'm assuming you're obviously growing up near New York City and coming to New York a lot. You're familiar with the 99-cent joint, right? That's one of the things I'm pumped to be living there for, man. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, this is what I want to talk about. I mean, a couple things. Um, One is why do they only exist in New York? Like obviously the foot traffic is great, but the rent is so high. So why don't we see these in our college markets? Um, Like that's something I've been thinking of. Like obviously, you know, a regular pizza place, they could sell pies to all year round, but a dollar slice joint, you don't see them anywhere else but New York, which has the highest rents. I think that goes hand in hand though, right? When you think about it, they have the highest rents and they naturally have the most foot traffic relatively on another level though. Like then a college town, they could justify that for the traffic and the hope as we know of getting something else in there. So I think think that lures in enough people to at least that's been their, the model that they've claimed. So yeah, it definitely, yeah, go ahead then. No, I was going to say, aren't those places notorious for, and you might have already said this while I was getting a drink of water, but two things. One, dollar just gets you a cheese slice. Toppings are extra. And then if you're getting like a pie or a salad or anything else, calzones, those places are usually, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, they do sell other things. Um, But yeah, typically it's like cheese and pepperoni. I think pepperoni might also be a dollar. Actually, no, it's like a dollar 25. But yeah, it's typically your cheese slice but it's a quick fix. It's obviously, you know, and it, it's not the worst pizza. It's good for a dollar. It's obviously there's way better pizzas out there, but it's just something I was thinking in our college towns. I feel like they should exist because I could see after a long night at a bar, kids lining up for a dollar slice of pizza. I know Mike, if you remember rockets in B town, they would do $2 slices. Remember outside, they would have like a little pizza thing and they would crush it. And that's how they make yeah. all their money. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's that. And then, um, so the first, and then I was saying for the, the first, uh, company that actually, or the first restaurant opened in 2008 that actually started the dollar slices. It was in Midtown in New York and it's called two brothers pizza. 
and they kind of just set off a pricing war with pizza and that just sparked a million other places around the city opening up a dollar uh, dollar slice joints but now rents are raising food cost is going up and these dollar slices uh the joints are pretty much dying or they're gonna have to change to two or three dollar slices which is gonna you know kind of kill that entire business so i think Within the next couple of years, we're going to see dollar slice joints be out of business, at least in New York. But that's kind of what I was opening up conversation to. I just, I just feel like they should be elsewhere, um, and college towns in particular. Aren't some of those places like absolute hole in the walls? Like, do they actually have expensive rent? Yeah, it just being in New York, they do have expensive rent because they're like in Times Square and they're in East Village. Oh yeah, yeah, like okay. the rent's still high, but they are just little tiny shops. But like, if you take the comparison of the rent you're paying in New York and put it in Bloomington, Indiana, where the rent would be like five, six hundred bucks a month, and you're just knocking out hundreds of slices, I feel like it would be equivalent. Yeah, I mean, if I was a restaurant in a college town, I think it'd be cool to do that whole model with like the stock market, where it's based on up and down, yeah, fluctuation, you know. And yeah, I think it'd be cool doing that, like flash deals at certain hours where you have 99 cent slices. But clearly, as we're as you're just highlighting that model, it seems like it's going extinct. And my whole retort to that is just have larger slices and charge more where it's like, oh, these are three ninety nine or four bucks. But, you know, people have to eat anyway and they're going to pay that. Yeah. Or even cut your slices, make them a little bit smaller and, and, and charge the same. Yeah, makes me want to fly to New York right now and get a slice of pizza. So damn, slice pizza out here. I mean, you're telling me. I, I definitely, when you're coming out of college, and it's probably one of the only ways to save money in in a city like here. It's just you got to live off dollar slices. <laughs> Everything else is so expensive. You want to know what's crazy or and kind of shitty is I've gotten used to the pizza out here to the point where I have spots that I like, but I still have this like enough of a memory slash. I still randomly go to New York enough to know what a real slice of pizza is that I know that I'm missing out on real pizza. And here I am twice a week getting these places that are, you know, like a step above a Papa John's. Then now I've convinced myself like these are the spots. And it's just it's, it's sad. Yeah, I'll say coming from Indiana, that was some of the worst pizza ever. I mean that that pizza was terrible. And then when I moved to Denver, I didn't mind the pizza. There was some good like slice works uh, was pretty good. There was like three bros. Um, that Mike, what was the one that we used to love on on uh, Blake's Mario's Mario's yeah, and then Marky. Like there were some decent ones. I, I don't mean, know, man. I'm just, yeah. I'm just, it's not New York. Not New York. I'm just angry today. <laughs> I'm just pissed off. Those damn ninjas. I'm pissed on it, hello, and you know. I'm, I'm pissed off at the food out here. I'm like, I'm pissed off today. Well, you know. All right. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I have to say yeah. about that. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, yeah, guys, I mean, that guy gets us into the theme of the week, which is really diving into what goes into creativity, with, especially with bootstrap companies such as ourselves, when we're naturally forced to be creative because we don't have a lot of money behind us. So that's something I know we're getting into the book a bit later, but 
Uh, Damon John brings that up in his book, overfunding is companies that have so much money that creativity almost goes to die. So we'll start with that. First of all, do you guys think that that even exists? And if so, we're obviously in the exact opposite boat of having too much money. So what do you think it, that uh, you know really symbolizes when you're backed against the wall? Why do you think that forces creativity? I think you're just forced to use every resource that you possibly can to do whatever you need. Um, where obviously when you have a ton of money, you have all the resources possible, you can do whatever you want. But sometimes those creative things you come up with when you don't have any money and you're just using the resources that you have, that's when you kind of come up with the best thing, like doing a penny pickup. I think that was a great concept we initiated, um, you know, things where it didn't cost us much. And yeah, you're just using every resource in your power to come up with the most creative ideas. And they just sometimes just it just wins. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with everything Corey just said. I think there's a couple factors to it. One is it definitely allows you to, or it forces you to become more resourceful and not rely on things that you know exist out there that might cost a lot more money. And like one of the things, if you're a company and you have a lot of money and you've already kind of proven your concept and you're in that growth mode, you might not necessarily know what it is that's even driving your growth anymore from a marketing point of view, because you start to just throw money at so many different things that I don't want to say you lose creativity because there's a lot of huge companies out there that still have that. But I think you definitely lose track of what's new and what's changing. And when things are going really well and you're throwing money at conventional advertising, it's easy to kind of miss out on sudden changes in different advertising mediums, like with like the video stuff that we're starting to do. And just seeing in general that video content is like starting to pop off in a whole new different way. I feel like companies that are kind of in their rhythm of spending tens of millions of dollars, they're less likely to make those changes as quickly. Yeah I, yeah, I even think when uh, we were in Denver is kind of a really good example because we had somewhat of a budget to do commercials. We, we tried a lot of things, but I think what we realized worked best was the creative stuff we did, like uh, the taco bars, where um, anyone listening, we pretty much went to apartment complexes. We set up taco bars for residents to come down, make their own tacos, and talk to these people face-to-face and tell them about our site, tell them that we're local and push, you know, everything that we were doing. And that, I, in my opinion, obviously worked way better than any of the commercials, billboards, or anything we just spent money on. Yeah, I mean, that stuff's always great. And I mean, even back to the the digital stuff and the videos, I think there was a time where, again, we weren't necessarily concerned what things cost. So we would not dive into it as much. And lately, I think we're forced to figure out more resourceful ways of getting things done at a high quality. And it's propelled us to even like potentially start this new business that we're talking about doing. And even with 
making videos and diving into like learning about it and realizing that there's, you know, a few sites out there that you could be essentially buying stock videos that are high quality and kind of blending them in with things you're doing to make videos. That stuff's out there. And if you are kind of in a spot where you're like trying to learn because you need to, it's amazing how much stuff you can get done for a fraction of what it costs when you're just not really learning. Yeah, I think there's something to be said that I I always like to call it shortcut advertising, the stuff that, you know, traditional advertising, really, where you have indirect impressions that you have no accountability over. You're just spending money on a blanket, hoping for the best, really, for brand awareness. And you really have no control over the messaging. And I think we've done a great job as a team doing a 180 on that. And it's forced us to be accountable for everything we're even doing with thinking about what goes into these stories and how it resonates with people like we've talked about in previous podcasts. But uh, yeah, I think there's something with human nature and being backed in a corner, just the way we're all hardwired and evolved. Uh, You know, evolution took care of that itself, really. I think people are really good at that, where the best comes out in everybody when it has to. Yep. And you see that even with like teams that win a lot and that like the Ravens in the playoffs for sports fans out there, they had a a hell of a regular season. We're winning, 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 and then just hit a wall because I think what happens is you get complacent, you see success and you know, you kind of take things for granted in a way. And then reality sets in and you're like, Oh, so we've had, you know, you could look at it as a blessing and a curse with competition in our industry, but it's made us, do a reality check with ourselves and really hold ourselves accountable for being back into the grassroots marketing, but in today's day and age, that's, what's been cool to say. Yeah. The other thing that I'll add that to the first thing that you brought up to kind of add to what you just said is when companies are really, really big and have a ton of money, it's tough for them to connect with users in a way that almost wins over new users for newer companies that are more in like growth phase. Like it's impossible to really identify with or connect with the story from the CEO of Uber who didn't even start Uber at this point, or even like the CEO at DoorDash. Whereas we're trying to kind of speak to people and go off this marketing theme of it's where it's like feed your story. And we're hoping that people will see our story and kind of feel like they could relate to it. And if we're somehow able to do that, we're doing our jobs. And there's no doubt companies that have a ton of money, it's harder. It's not impossible, but it's harder to to do that and to make people feel like, you know, have those stories resonate with them. Like Rocky at the beginning of the movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's also one of those things. I think it's tough for companies that are really well-funded that they like the top people that have skin in the game at that point, they're not as connected anymore. So I, I think it's tough for things to resonate. Like the way we're able to create these things, we have a pulse. We're on the ground. We're in the trenches. And I think it's a, it's almost like an arm's length when you're in the venture back world, because you almost have a buffer where you're dealing with a much different structure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're able to actually think about our customers personally, where these big companies like DoorDash are just thinking about how to return an investment for their VCs. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, contrast. 
And in saying that, guys, I think that's what was so fitting about this week with Damon John's power of broke. I, I think we could all relate with the, the way our business has been built from the trenches over the years uh, a lot to this book. He basically was a guy that born in Brooklyn, grew up in Hollis, Queens, and clearly in an era where it was just the beginning of like black culture and entertainment really taking off. He was, he, what's that, Corey? Yeah, I was just saying hip hop. Yeah, like the music industry. That's right when hip hop yeah, was about to. Yeah, yeah hip hop was about to take off, and I think that goes back to timing. Uh, means a lot with that, but he had this idea for a clothing company for young guys because he just was in that area. The timing, he just felt it was right. His mom actually taught him how to sew, and. Back then, there was this thing. There were these wool ski hats that had these fishing lines on the top that were really popular that he thought were being overpriced the way they, the price points on them. I think they were sold for like $20. He ended up going home and getting his next door neighbor to help him sew 90 hats. And they, ended up prop, they ended up selling like 80 hats or so and making 800 bucks in the first day. And... That led to him beginning screen printing t-shirts. And I thought it was really fascinating because he was such a hustler in the way that he, I, I did some more background. This wasn't even in the book, this part, but he actually in high school, they allowed him to go and work every other week outside of school. So he'd be able to go to high school one week and then go work for a full week. And it sounded like that was a huge part of what instilled in him that natural hustle because it, you know, we're in the food business. He actually worked as a cook at red lobster and weighted tables. So on top of that, he had a van that he bought with the money that he was saving up. He could have bought a stylish car. You know, he was in that era where everybody wanted to be cool. And he ended up getting a van that at first he was using as a commuter van service. So there were all these, buses that were dropping and uh, picking people up and they were dangerous slash inconvenient for a lot of the older people. So he would actually pick and drop people off right to their residence and get them right off the highway at bus stops. It was like, I had not even known that. I thought that was fascinating. So long story short from there, he, what ended up getting going with FUBU was from the, this printing with his t-shirts he ended up using his van to sell stuff, right? He'd like pull up to concert venues and different shows. And at this point, his mom, who was a, clearly a huge influence here, actually mortgaged her house for a hundred grand to help him really get going. He was bootstrapped like we were, but on another level, his mom not only helped him sew, she helped him raise the money. They ended up uh, using product placement. And guys, keep in mind, this was before the days of social media. This was like before MTV was even around. So when you think of product placement, it was like as grassroots as it can get. And these guys were putting FUBU logos on jerseys, shirts, sweatshirts. And what what was interesting, they were getting in music videos, but their huge break, and this goes back to, Dan brought it up a couple weeks ago, it never hurts to ask, uh, LL Cool J was a childhood friend from, you know, they grew up in the same area. 
and he actually got him to wrap his uh, shirt for a promo. And he ended up doing, LL Cool J was doing something for the Gap, and he got in a commercial spot with the shirt. With the hat. And that was, the, with, I'm sorry, with the hat. And that was the beginning of the rise right there. It was like his huge break. And he ended up, his mom took another mortgage out in the house and the rest was history. They ended up doing a big thing at a fashion trade show called Magic with Macy's. And um, yeah, and the crazy thing was, it goes back to the power of persistence too. There were, his mom literally had to take an advertisement out of the New York Times and it led to a deal for FUBU because they got turned down by 27 banks for a loan. So it, it was fascinating. Clearly the power broke. Like his story was cool, to be honest. And, you know, I'll, I'm pumped to hear your guys' thoughts and then I'll dive into my own. But it, it was fascinating to me how he really dove way into everyone else's stories and didn't really lay out his own tips beyond his story. Like I thought that was kind of fascinating. Like I didn't hear as much as I wanted to about his own tactics as I would have liked personally. Yeah. But I'll, I'll let you guys dive into a first here. I mean, I, I think uh, one of my favorite stories, well, one, back when you were talking about the, um, when he was selling hats outside the mall, um, the first time he did it, he sold 80 hats. He made 800 bucks real quick. And then he instantly got into a car accident while he was counting his money on his way home because he was so excited. And then literally had to just, he just gave the person 800 bucks cash <laughs> because he got, he like wrecked the car. So I love that. But my favorite story was actually when I thought this was super creative. Um, you know, all the gates in New York when they close the shop, like the, yeah. the, the oh, silver yeah. doors. So he saw those and he, he was like, all right, how can I get, you know, the, all these stores in New York have every single one of them has a gate and they're everywhere. So how can I get free branding? So he offered to power wash these gates there. So he cleaned them up. And then just made a cool FUBU logo. And the store owners were down because they had graffiti all over the gates. And he power washed it, cleaned it, made a huge, you know, nice FUBU logo. And got free advertising all over the city. And I thought that was one of the coolest things to do without having any money. And it just showed, you know, he that really is the power of broke and how to turn it into a positivity. And then, you know, I think my biggest takeaway, um, just with the power of the broke, a power being the power of broke, it just makes you learn the process. And this goes, it has a lot to do with us too. Um, but it makes you learn the process for yourself in every aspect of the business. So like we know, um, you know, because you're strapped for with resources, you have to, for us, we've done menu updates, deliveries. Uh, I, I mean, you name it, marketing, sales. We've all done every single aspect of our business. Same with him. And when you don't have those resources, you have to do that. And it makes you learn everything about, you know, the business in entirety where you're just an expert. Yeah. I mean, that's good stuff right there. I love the book. I thought it was kind of refreshing and I didn't even really realize this about how I felt about other books until I read this book. But I feel like sometimes when you read these people's books, it comes off as a little narcissist. And I almost felt like he was speaking to the reader by showcasing other people's stories, but by picking out a story 
for each message that he was trying to send. So like when you kind of said before that you didn't feel like, like you were kind of hoping that he would give more advice on what he thinks about business. I almost looked at it like he was kind of giving advice through other people's stories and he selectively like picked out stories that were all really unique and that were all really different to kind of cater to that. So I thought, I, I mean, I really loved it. It definitely, there's a couple things. One, it, it made you feel like not having money in life is an advantage, which is just a cool way to look at it. You know what I mean? Most most people look at it like if you don't have money, you're just at the bottom and you're stressed and all these things. And he constantly presented it in a way where it's like, hey, if you don't have any money, it's the greatest thing ever. And he's like, and if you do have money, it's also the greatest thing ever. He's like, everything's great. Everything's just a way to get motivated. And I thought like the way he presented that was really cool. Uh, I also thought it was cool how he broke down like the four stages in a business journey. And you know, you can kind of relate it to any business, even though he specifically is kind of in the clothing industry, or at least was at that time. And the four stages were item, label, brand, and lifestyle. And item is kind of just like when you have the actual business and then labels, like when you call it something, so people know how to actually get it. And then brand is when it turns into something that people could recognize. And lifestyle is the maturity phase of a business when you know you're. It's a lifestyle for people, and it's just like the way he used that to kind of match it up to stories was cool. I loved the Steve Aoki thing. I, I didn't really. I don't know if I knew that. I think I might have, but forgot. So Steve Aoki's dad came from Japan as a wrestler and never ended up leaving when he got to the United States and went from an ice cream chuck to eventually starting Benihana, which was really cool. And it was cool how he kind of talked about with Steve Aoki, I think the message he was trying to send through him was like, hey, sometimes if you're onto something, you don't need to necessarily have a direction, just like create and start like figuring it out and everything will kind of figure itself out. And well, one of the books we're going to read is Richard Branson, but I've already read it and it was crazy. The similarities between Steve Aoki and Richard Branson when they were both starting the record labels, even though it was like completely different, where people were living in their houses for free and working for free and they didn't even know what half these people did. Like, I, I just thought that was really cool. And then, you know, the way he brought up the different examples from Shark Tank, like the Gigi Cupcakes Girl, most of them I saw, but some of them I didn't. I also thought it was cool how he kind of broke down some of like the behind the scenes stuff at Shark Tank where he was like, sometimes these negotiations take hours. And yeah. it was just, it was cool. You know, hearing like the story about when Mark and uh, Kevin and Robert like stormed out when they made the deal with the scholarship kid. And I don't know. I, I just, I, Damon's the man. And I yeah. love how he's in the Empire State Building now. And he was talking about like every day on his elevator ride up, he can kind of like oversee where he used to grow up and imagine those kids yeah. getting chased home at night, like trying to beat the Concord to get home from their parents. It was just, it spoke to me. Loved it. Great book. Me too. It also, it resonated with me. Obviously, um, I was hat or part of a clothing line in the past. So, I was very familiar. I've been to the magic trade show. So the fact there is one point where he said like they didn't have enough money to attend the show, him and his friends, they all crashed in one hotel room. They somehow finessed their way into the show 
and sold 300 grand of product. Like that is insane. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of brands there pushing their every, you know, from Fila at the time to Reebok and all these big brands, Nike, Adidas. And then you have like hundreds of small private brands and literally a, a booth cost 10 grand and they just went in and they just literally talked to people and sold $300,000 worth of clothes. It's insane. Like I have no clue how they did that. Yeah, he really kind of sums up the whole guerrilla marketing and bootstrapped. Like even one of his chapters was bootstrapped 101. That guy defines the hustle. Like Mike, when you brought up how he bought the van early on, like when I was reading that, I was like, damn, Damon John kind of like invented Uber before technology existed. Like he had his own little Uber business. Yeah. Literally via. That's what It's crazy. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I I thought... It was, uh, I love the part with Tim Ferriss because, you know, I, I'm big on him with the four hour work week. When he was on his up and up, he was talking about being down at South by Southwest, trying whatever he could do to get a speaking gig. And it was, you know, he finally got hooked up and there was a cancellation and he had one day to prepare. And he's staying at his buddy's place in Austin and he's out in the garage presenting to his three Chihuahua dogs. And his whole attitude was, well, if these dogs don't stay around me and engage, it means I'm boring. So (laughs) he got them to stick around. And he was like, all right, I'm ready for this. And I thought that was just something that's, you know, clearly something that always sticks with you when you're in the beginning of stardom. And that was before he really popped off. So I thought that was awesome. And the Kevin Plank story about, you know, the founder of Under Armour, when he was going to Atlantic City, trying to make sure to keep his business afloat and went broke and couldn't even afford the $2 toll. I thought that was insane. So it just shows the uh, turmoil. The, some of these Titans have been through, like I, I know like the Hershey story is not in here, but we all saw that. No, how- he actually did bring it up in there. He said how that did guy it? started three candy businesses that were, that all failed before he started. Hershey. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He did bring that up, but yeah, yeah just- I don't think a lot of people realize when they see some of these behemoth brands what they had to get to to get there. Exactly. So that was that was fascinating to me, and uh, yeah, I, I think he definitely, you know, it would be cool to definitely have Damon John on just because I think he'd respect what we've all been doing to a ump degree and could relate to a lot of the stories. And you know, I also think the Steve Ioki thing was really inspiring for us, like the whole 13 people in an apartment, not knowing like what it's going to be, but knowing it's going to be something special, just kind of like the stuff we're doing now with the podcast, the con- the podcast, the content creation, these media packages, we could tell it's on, we're onto something. And, you know, that positive energy and just culmination of creation, something special brews when you have the right people. So I thought that was awesome. So yeah, overall, uh, I, I enjoyed that one thoroughly. Dude, I kind of just to update our listeners. So we, I tagged, I made a Instagram story post like five days ago, and I tagged Damon John, and I told him that we were going to be doing this podcast and that we were going to be reviewing his book, and asked if he wanted to come on. And he looked at the story, and I think that kind of got us all excited. And then I sent him a message. And in the message, I was like, all giddy, excited to type it, <laughs> type it out. 
I type out the power is broke. <laughs> and I don't and I didn't, I didn't realize it till like four hours later when I'm looking back and I was like, oh, power up broke, correct? He hadn't he didn't even look at it. But I think like there was definitely like a little period where I was like, oh man, like this guy's probably gonna call on to our next podcast. For well, we should send him the podcast. We should send him the podcast. And you know, I also think Look, like if we and I was telling you this the other day, if we really, really went out of our way to try and get Damon John on, I kind of I, I like our chances. I think we're clever enough to make it happen. I just think it's going to require for all these people us having some sort of strategy where we're doing like a significant amount of outreach to get them on and like track them down. Like Damon John, like all right, he works in the Empire State Building, floor sixty three or whatever. Probably has a secretary that we could reach out to that does a schedule scheduling, things like that. Probably find all that stuff on the internet. These things take time. We're all spread thin right and now. But you know, like, we, should know, we should find out what his favorite pizza is and have it delivered to him with a note. When he's working. Yeah, yeah. that's what we do. Because you already said, oh, we'll give you free pizza. That would be a cool thing he'd respect. And he'd be like, oh, and, you know. I think that's something our company could do is offer free pizza to any famous person that comes on our podcast. Like that's, we could, we could afford that. That's an I mean, I'm sure you remember like Rev when we sent him the ice cream, like those, and the, yeah, yeah. you know, the other guys we have. Yeah. It goes a very long way. You would think too, like a couple people might find that funny that we're offering something so generic. Like, Hey, <laughs> we'll, like, we'll give you a free pizza. Like, we had our own like bootstrapped in the cat trenches survivor kits. To send to these people, I like, I like uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Let's think about that <laughs> as a way to invite them on to the show. You mean? Yeah, like as an invite. Like we invite you to come on. Like we should send out a select. Seriously, like you know, Corey, can- I already know what you're about to say. You're going to bring up those order up packages that we sent to the offices with like the horse heads <laughs> inside and stuff. <laughs> Actually, that's crazy. You knew that. <laughs> <laughs> I just I saw your eyes light up. And I was like, I know what he's about to bring up. Right? First that time. Oh yeah. Damon would be like, oh, I know exactly what to do with this. I gotta hop on. Drafted. <laughs> yeah, uh, just uh for anyone listening, when we were running our Denver market, we ran and we picked out I think it was like a hundred offices and we sent them these little gift boxes and one of the things we put in the gift box were these horse heads. <laughs> it was it was pretty awesome. It was. I think people enjoyed them. It definitely gets your attention. Well, good stuff, guys. I think tonight went well. Uh, I think it's dinner time. Mike, can I just say one thing? What's up? Your face looks silky smooth right now, Mom. You got such a fresh shave going. Yeah, I just shaved today. The Monday shave. You might have inspired me to shave my entire beard, which I haven't done in years. Maybe (laughs) I have to hit up Gillette for an advertising gig. It just, it looks so smooth. It's crazy. (laughs) Send Gillette a uh, starter kit. It's actually Barbasol. Uh, Oh, even better. It might be easier. Yeah. Yeah, right? (laughs) Definitely. I feel like they'd respect that more. Like the whole, you know, rugged bootstrap game. Maybe they'll sponsor us. Yeah. This podcast yeah. put me in a better mood, I feel like. I was like, really? That's yeah. what we do. Yeah. That's uh, good thing. Be, like, yeah. be like Damon John. Be like Bob Eager. Just stay optimistic. Exactly. Seriously. Boom, baby. Yeah. Well, that's the wrap, guys. Hey, well, what's the, uh, the the book for next week? Oh, uh, yeah. The book for next week, I believe, is the Richard Branson book. Is it? Oh, fuck yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. We'll get that's on. Good. What's that called? Uh, I'll tell you guys what it's called. I forgot the name. But just uh, for a little a little preview of next week, 
one of the things at the way beginning of the book, just to get people pumped up. And I did not know this about Richard. It's called losing my virginity, by the way. Losing my virginity. Obviously, like, what a great name. But I didn't know Richard Branson tried traveling the world on a hot air balloon. And when you read about it, and like that guy is, I don't even want to call him a nut job because he's. He is a nut job. Yeah. I mean, no, that's a compliment without yeah, a doubt. No, no, no. He's a nut job, but he's just so adventurous. It almost like, I almost think the word nut job sounds negative at times. Whereas like, he's like the ultimate adventure. That guy tried traveling the damn world in a hot air balloon. That is just crazy. Yeah. You know, he reminds me yeah, of. Yeah. Talk about having a oh. Yeah. Have you, have you guys seen Along Came Polly, obviously? Yeah. Like he he reminds me of that guy, you know, when he's doing the risk <laughs> assessment and that guy's like jumping yeah. off buildings. Literally, that, yeah. that's what uh, you're the racquetball guy. At, at first, I thought you were talking about the guy that like comes in and steals this girl, and I was like, yeah, I can kind of see it. <laughs> <you're> talking, <laughs> yeah, the super intense guy just jumps off the buildings and yeah, yeah. The other thing you'll see in that book is Richard Branson steals a lot of people's girls. That kid, that or that, that not that kid, that man. He's kind of rotated between a lot of women, and every time he kind of just. But the way he talks about it, it's so like graceful, you know. Like you don't even hate on him for it. You're just like, oh, this is just how this guy is. Like that guy, if I was married, he can come and just be like, Dan, like I'm leaving with this girl right now. And somehow I'd be okay with it. I'd be like, oh, okay. Like that makes sense. You're Richard Branson. That's just what you do. Yeah, That's a fitting title, losing my virginity. I'm sure that had a lot to do with that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's an animal. Cool story. So. Pumped to talk about it next week. Bootstrapped in the trenches, making moves going all out. Every day handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team, let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get low down, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey, let's go.